0: I start at page 136. The case of those who spend their wealth to seek the pleasure of Allah and to strengthen their souls is like the case of a garden on elevated ground. Heavy rain falls on it so that it brings forth its fruits twofold, and if heavy rain does not fall on it, then light rain suffices, and Allah sees what you do. The Holy Quran, chapter 2 verse 266 Beautified for men is the love of desired things, women and children, and stored up heaps of gold and silver, and pastured horses and cattle and crops. That is the provision of the present life, but it is Allah with whom is an excellent home. The Holy Quran chapter 3, verse 15. Chapter 3 Socioeconomic economic peace. Islam also has a word of advice concerning the areas where the horizons of society and economy meet. If these teachings are implemented, they can turn our dusks and dawns into twilights of exceptional beauty. Economic justice under capitalism, socialism, and Islam. Economic justice is a beautiful slogan. Whereas attempts have been made to monopolize it to the exclusion of the others, the slogan is common to both the capitalist society of the free market economy as well as the scientific social doctrine of dialectical materialism. Both talk of justice. But with due apologies, I must express my dismay in that both have failed to do full justice to the golden principle of economic justice. But more of this later. The Islamic concept of absolute justice is all-prevailing and all-pervading. It covers every aspect of Islamic teaching. But that is not all. Islam goes one step further. In scientific socialism, an attempt is made to level up the economic soil so completely and perfectly that there are no ups and downs left. If watered, such soil will get its share equally. There is no question of any demand from the have-nots, nor any threat to the have-alls from the less fortunate sections of society to forcibly rob them of their surplus wealth. In the capitalist society, they talk more of equal opportunities, level playing fields, and free economies than to equal distribution of wealth. Thus, there is always room for the demand of rights and the creation of pressure groups such as trade unions, etc., which seek the most out of the government or other capitalists for the sake of the employee and the laborer who always live under a sense of deprivation. If scientific socialism is implemented ideally, there is no need left for any section of society to make demands, either that society would be rich enough to equitably distribute national wealth according to the needs, or it would be so poor as to have failed to fulfil their needs, leaving every member of the society sharing his or her misery equally. Either way, it would end up as a society where demand no longer has a meaningful role to play. The capitalist system, on the other hand, is demand-oriented. The less fortunate section of society must be given the right to express its dissatisfaction and a free opportunity to be heard. Hence, the need for the formation of pressure groups and strikes, industrial strife, lockouts, etc. Islam attempts to create an attitude whereby the governments and the wealthy are constantly reminded that it is in their own ultimate interest to establish an equitable economic system. They are also constantly exhorted to be on the lookout for the rights of others. The weak and poor should not be denied their fundamental economic rights such as freedom to choose one's profession, equal access to opportunities, and the basic requirements of life. The lack of this very special attitude has already caused much misery, pain, and disorder in the history of human struggle for survival. There is thus greater emphasis in Islam on giving than on taking or keeping. The government and the wealthy must constantly be on the lookout Lest there be a section of society which is deprived of the fundamental human right to live decently, a truly Islamic state would have felt the need and taken appropriate measures for its fulfillment. Before grief turns into cries and protest, and before the need threatens peace and order, the cause of grief must be removed and the need fulfilled. Apparently, in this respect, Islam shares its character with the socialist society but, in fact... The similarity is only superficial. Islam achieves its goals but not through the same coercive means prescribed by scientific socialism. Time does not permit me to describe in detail how Islam endeavours to achieve this lofty goal, but we can briefly mention that the Islamic approach to this issue is not lifeless and mechanical like the philosophy of dialectical materialism. The Islamic social system remains deeply wedded to the innate laws of the human psyche. Among other things, Islam creates an atmosphere where the demand for one's own rights gives way to regard for the rights of others. The level of consciousness and sensitivity to the suffering of fellow human beings is raised to a degree whereby members of society as a whole are concerned more about what they owe to society than what society owes to them give the laborer more than his dues is the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam's repeated reminder to his followers pay him what he has earned before his sweat has dried out do not put those who serve under you to such tasks as you cannot perform yourself as far as possible feed your servants with whatever you feed your family provide them with similar clothing do not transgress against the meek in any way or you will be held responsible Before God, lest you succumb to false pride, occasionally make your servants sit on the same table with you and serve them, spending in a good cause, even in adversity. Human dignity is emphasized in the strongest terms in every sphere of life. The following verses of the Holy Quran present the code of ethics regarding the needs of the poor and needy and how these should be fulfilled. God's reward for forgiveness is for Those who spend in prosperity and adversity and those who suppress anger and pardon men. And Allah loves those who do good. Spending in the cause of the poor. The concept of arms generally understood in the world is double edged. On the one hand, it pays compliments to the qualities of excellence to the donor of the arms. On the other hand, it creates an embarrassing, if not disgraceful, image of the recipient. The very act of receiving arms degrades his status. Islam revolutionizes this concept. A fascinating analysis is made of why some people are very poor and some rich in the following verse of the Holy Quran. A part of their wealth comprises that which should by right have belonged to the one who asked for help, beggar, and the one who could not, the poor. The point generally missed is usage of the word hak, that is right. That speaks volumes about the attitude of the one who gives alms as well as the attitude of the one who receives alms. The one who gives is reminded that what one gives to the poor in reality did not belong to one. Something has to be very wrong with an economy where some people are left destitute or compelled to beg for their living. In a healthy economic system, there should be no destitute there is no genuine need to beg for one's survival. The message delivered to the recipient of alms reminds him that there is no need for him to be embarrassed or to suffer from any complexes because, in fact, God has granted him the fundamental right to survive decently and honorably. So, whatever your apparent benefactor is giving to you is your own right, which somehow had got transferred to the donor. As already mentioned earlier, God's teachings are directly related to human nature. Any injunction which is likely to disturb the equilibrium is counterbalanced by corrective measures. Gratitude In the case discussed above, there was of course an inherent danger that some people would become ungrateful to their benefactors. Instead of expressing gratitude for any favors they received from others, they may end up by saying that, What one has given us was our right. There is no need for us to be grateful to such a person at all. If this tendency were to be promoted, then it would be at the cost of courteous and decent behavior. Turning to the recipient of favors, the Holy Quran repeatedly reminds him of his duty to be grateful and to express his gratitude for even the smallest favor shown to him. The believer is repeatedly told that, God does not love the ungrateful people. In Takfuru, for in the Laha Raniun Ankum, Wala Yaruboli, Ibadi Hil Kufu, Wa in Tushkuru, Yarubohulakum, Wala Taziruazirotum Wizra Ukra, Summa Ilarobicum Marujukum, for you no biukum, Bima Kuntum tamalun, Inna Hualimum, be that is sudu. If you are grateful, surely Allah is self sufficient being independent of you, and he is not pleased with ingratitude in his servants. But if you are grateful, he likes it in you. No one shall bear the burden of another. Then to your Lord is your return, and he will inform you of that which you used to do. Surely, he is well aware of whatever passes in your thoughts. Further emphasizing the importance of a grateful disposition, the Holy Founder, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam of Islam, reminds the believers, الناس, One who is not grateful to human beings is not grateful to God. The implication is that anyone who is ungrateful to fellow human beings, even if he were grateful to God, his gratitude will not be accepted by God. So decency, courtesy, and gratitude are not discouraged by the message of the Holy Quran as contained in the earlier verses. It is only a quiet message to the recipient of favors that he should not suffer from any complex and his dignity should remain uninjured. The inference would be that to express gratitude is not against the dignity of man. On the contrary, it elevates its further. Turning to the donor, Islam inculcates a completely different attitude. It is considered against dignity and modesty to accept gratitude as if one deserved it. This tendency is found to be a part of civilized behavior everywhere in the world. But there is one fundamental difference between this universal mannerism and Islamic teachings of noble conduct. Islam instructs the donor to serve mankind for a higher and nobler cause than merely to satisfy a natural urge or earn good reputation by benevolent acts. Islam repeatedly reminds man to do acts of goodness for the sake of God and only to win his pleasure and earn his favors. From this, it becomes obvious that when a true Muslim donates something to anyone in need, in truth, he does not do it for his own sake or anyone else's sake, but only for the sake of pleasing his Creator who initially bestowed on him everything he possesses. In the light of this principle, Whatever he spends on others is by way of an expression of gratitude to his Lord, and not by way of any favor to anyone. This sublime attitude has its roots in one of the earliest verses of the Holy Quran, which reminds the believers, Wa mimma hum From what we had provided them, they spend a part thereof in our cause. Therefore, it is not of mere courtesy that a true believer rejects gratitude, but he genuinely believed that if a recipient of his favors owes gratitude to anyone, it is only to God and not to him. True believers who really understand the meaning of faith feel extremely embarrassed whenever their favors are returned with thanks. The Holy Quran declares, They feed for the love of him, the poor, the orphan, the prisoner. Even when they themselves stand in need saying, We feed you for Allah's pleasure only. We desire no reward nor thanks from you. Just to feed people is not enough. You should feed them when you yourself know the meaning of hunger and suffering and you share in their pain expecting no reward or thanks in return. The beauty of this verse is dazzling. If the believers were taught to show a superficial and condescending attitude by just refusing to accept gratitude and posing as humble men, there was every danger that this would promote hypocrisy. When we say no thanks, in fact, we are conscious of the fact that by doing so, our image is further enhanced in the eyes of the person under favor. The Islamic teaching is much more sublime. The benefactor is reminded that he cannot sell his commodities twice over to different parties. An act of goodness can either be done to win the pleasure of God or to win public favor. According to this verse, one cannot entertain both intentions simultaneously. When the refined faithful servant of God tells the needy that his intentions were indeed to please God. It also reminds him, at the same time, that God is his real benefactor, so whatever inferiority complex may have been born is wiped out. No human reward for favors. In Islam, to be courteous to others should not be a superficial habit acquired out of values of civilization, but should be deeply rooted in the belief in God. All arms given to the needy should be given without any ulterior motive of getting any return from the recipient. Wala tamnun Bestow not favors seeking to get more in return. Once a favor is shown to anyone, Islam would require him to forget it as if nothing had happened. To exalt over one's act of goodness and to rub in one's favors are declared suicidal and self annihilatory to the very act of goodness. On the contrary, the true believer behaves as described in the following verses, which compare the correct behavior with the incorrect one most comprehensively. Mathalul Ladina yunfikuna amwala fi sabili lahi, kamathali saba fi ثم لا يتبعون ما أنفقوا منا ولا أذن لهم أجرهم عند ربهم ولا خوف عليهم ولا هم يحزنون قول معروف ومغفرة خير من صدقة يتبعها أَذًى والله غني حليم يا أيها الذين آمنوا لا تبطلوا صدقاتكم بالمن والأذى كالذي ينفق ما له رئاء الناس ولا يؤمن بالله واليوم الاخر فَمَثَلُهُ كمثل صفوان عليه تراب فاصابه وابل فتركه صلدا لا يقبرون على شيء مما كسبوا والله لا يهدي القوم الكافرين The case of those who spend their wealth in the cause of Allah is like that of a grain of corn which grows seven ears in each ear there are 100 grains And Allah multiplies it even more for whomsoever he pleases. Allah is bountiful, all-knowing. Those who spend their wealth for the cause of Allah, then follow not up that which they have spent with taunt and injury, have their reward with their Lord, and they shall have no fear, nor shall they grieve. A kind word and forgiveness are better than charity followed up by injury. And Allah is self-sufficient forbearing. O ye who believe, render not vain your arms by reminding the recipient of your favors or causing him any inconvenience in return for what you have done for him. As such, his case will be like him who spends his wealth to be seen of men and he believes not in Allah and the last day. His example is like that of a smooth rock covered with earth on which heavy rain falls Washing it clean and leaving it bare, smooth and hard. Such people shall not secure aught of that which they earn, and Allah guides not their disbelieving people. Likewise, Chide not him who seeks thy help. Begging. Even beggars should be treated with respect. Do not speak harshly to a beggar. Although begging is discouraged, the right to beg when one is in dire need is guaranteed. Not only that, no one is permitted to injure the self-respect of those who are compelled to beg. In early Islam, despite the fact that the self-respect of even the beggar had been fully safeguarded, society as a whole had not failed to understand that not to beg was certainly better than to beg. Once the Holy Founder, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam of Islam, highlighted this comparison by stating, The hand of the donor is better than the hand of the receiver. As a result of this, a considerable number of Muslims preferred to die in poverty than to beg for survival. To cater for their needs, The Holy Qur'an reminds society as a whole that Among you there are people striving in the path of Allah Who have no way out of their poverty (laughs) للفقراء الذين أحسروا في سبيل الله لا يستطيعون ضربا في الأرض يحسبهم الجاهل أغنياء من التعفف تعرفهم بسيماهم لا يسألون الناس إلحافا وما تنفقوا من خير These alms are for the poor who are detained in the course of Allah and are unable to move about in the land. The ignorant considers them to be free from wants merely because they desist from begging. Thou shalt know them by their appearance. They do not beg of men with importunity. And whatever you spend of your wealth on such people of that Allah is fully aware. This principle becomes very clear from the following verse. ما أفاء الله على رسوله من أهل القرى فلله وللرسول ولذي القرب واليتامى والمساكين وابن السبيل كي لا يكون دولة بين الأغنياء منكم وما آتاكم الرسول فخذوه وما نهاكم عنه فانتهوا واتقوا الله إن الله شديد العقاب Whatever Allah has given to his messenger as spoils from the people of the towns is for Allah and for the messenger, and the near of kin, and the orphans, and the needy, and the wayfarer, that it may not circulate only among those of you who are rich, and whatsoever the messenger gives you, take it, and whatsoever he forbids you, abstain from that, and fear Allah surely Allah is severe in retribution. The Holy Prophet sallallahu of Islam also mentions this principle in a tradition, partly translated as: "An Hakim ibn Hizam, رضي الله عنه, عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال: اليد العليا خير من اليد السفلى، وبدأ بمن تعول، وخير Sadaqati. Narrates ابن ibn Hizam radiallahu anhu. The Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, The upper hand is better than the lower hand. That is, he who gives in charity is better than he who takes it. One should start giving first to his dependents. The best object of charity is that which is given by a wealthy person from the wealth left after his expenses. Whoever abstains from asking others for some financial help, Allah will give him and save him from asking others. Allah will make him self-sufficient. You have an upper hand in service, i.e. to give alms and serve others and not to be on the receiving end of alms and favors. What can be given in charity? Apart from the manner in which you give, what you give is also important. If you give something of which you yourself will be ashamed to receive from anyone else, this will not fall within the definition of alms, according to the Holy Quran. It will be more like throwing something in the dustbin. (laughs) ومما اخرجنا لكم من الارض ولا تيمموا الخبيث منه تنفقون ولستم باخذيه الا ان فيه وعلموا ان الله غني حميد O oh ye who believe spend of the good things that you have earned and of that which we produce for you from the earth and do not select out of it for charity that which is worthless which you yourself would not take without extreme embarrassment and a sense of shame. And know that Allah is self-sufficient, worthy of highest praise. لَن يَنَالَ اللَّهَ لُحُومُهَا وَلَا دِمَاؤُهَا وَلَكِنْ يَنَالُهُ التَّقْوَى مِنْكُمْ كَذَلِكَ سَخَّرَهَا لَكُمْ لِتُكَبِّرُ اللَّهَ عَلَى مَا هَدَاكُمْ وَبَشِّرِ the flesh of the sacrificial animals reaches not Allah, nor their blood, but it is your righteousness that reaches him. Giving openly and secretly. Islam leaves both options open, to spend publicly or privately. The Holy Quran teaches, وَمَا min min Allah إن whatsoever you spend in the cause of Allah or vow as an offering, surely Allah knows it well, and the wrongdoers shall have no helpers. if you give alms openly. That is indeed good, but if you give them secretly to the poor, it is even better for your own selves, thereby will he remove from you many of your ills, and Allah is aware of what you do. I stop at page 150.